live from Earth, it's Space Radio. This is Paul Sutter and special guest, Dr. Pamela Gay. And coming up, we are live at Joshua Tree National Park where we are leading an all-stars Astro Tours party with a bunch of our nearest and dearest friends. Yeah! And I, we are taking questions from them not from you. Sorry, you just get to watch today. But all your questions all the time. We record every Thursday, usually at 4 p.m. Eastern. And you can follow along on the show at spaceradioshow.com. But first, the news. Hello, space fans. Welcome to Space Radio. I'm Paul Sutter, astrophysicist at Ohio State. And for the next half hour, your agent to the stars. i got an exciting show for you today on Space Radio, where I'm live with Dr. Pamela Gay of Astronomy Cast Fame and Fortune. No fortune. Okay, we'll settle for fame. That works. <laughs> with a bunch of our nearest and dearest friends. <laughs> At the All-Stars Party here in Joshua Tree National Park, this show lives on listener questions, so we are teaming up to take questions from our nearest and dearest friends. You don't need to woo on that. And for the next half hour, and we're going to have a lot of fun. If you want to follow along on the show, you go to spaceradioshow.com. Are you ready? I, I hope I'm ready. You're not ready, but that doesn't matter because we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> Before we start taking questions, though, first, why don't you introduce yourself? Who are you? Why are you here? I know all that, but maybe our listeners don't. So my name is Dr. Pamela Gay. I am a senior scientist at the Planetary Science Institute. And in that role, I get to both do and communicate science. Ooh, it's nice combo. Of, yeah, it's a cool it's having gig. having your cake and eating it, too. It is. And I get to invite everyone to come do science yeah. with me because I work for the CosmoQuest project and we invite everyday people from around the world to do stuff like right now, we're picking the spot that the OSIRIS-REx spacecraft is gonna dive down and do a, well, grab and run of a soil sample. You're picking sample. the spot. We're, we're casing the joint. We are casing the joint. So cool. And the science team's gonna lose, use, not lose, the science team is going to use our information to figure out where nice. they're gonna go get that sample. And where can people play along with that? You can go to bennu.cosmoquest.org and it's rocks and boulders and boulders and rocks all the way down and we must map all of them. Every single rock, every single boulder. We've marked more than five million oh. things so far and wow. we're not quite halfway done. So really all of you out there, I just am really looking forward to sending that email to the people who mapped out the area that turned out to be the safe place to go wow. and saying, look, random chance, you, you found it. the spot. Wow, that's so cool. Speaking of rocks in space, yep. during this All-Stars party, like just like an hour ago, NASA made a big announcement, I heard. They did. What's so happening? They uh, have been reviewing their discovery missions to figure out where are the places that we're going to get to go explore next. And the winner is Alaska. No. Hmm. But this is completely new technology. It is so cool. We are sending a quadcopter to Titan. I love this movie. 
<laughs> a quadcopter. Yeah, like every day you fly him around. Like the drones. Like, yeah. Like, wow. And, and we're going to Titan. Where the atmosphere is so thick and the Super gravity. Thick. It's thicker than Earth. It's thicker than Earth's, and the gravity is so low that you and I could, like, put on Prometheus suits and fly around with our muscles. We could be Superman. We could. And, oh, wow. And, and this drone is going to be able to explore this world that we know has great lakes that are made of methane and ethane and... Well, so are the great lakes on Earth. But well, that, that was on accident. The, the ratios were oh, a bit different. Oh, a little bit, tiny bit different. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah. But this is a world that has weather patterns where we see the soil get dark as, as the snow melts. And... There's going to be a quadcopter. There's going to be a quad. We're going to have a quadcopter. We're going to have a quad. We don't know how it's going to get Who cares if yet. it gets any science done? Like, we just, this is like a major milestone in human achievement. Like, yeah, it's check the box. Yeah, quadcopter on a right. moon and an outer solar system. I, I'm so, you just so need to, good with that. When is this going to happen? So it, all the details are still being worked out. It okay, was just never. announced okay, today. Okay, you could just say never. You could just say never. It's not that bad. So there will, they will be announcing by 2023 how they're going to launch this thing. Wait, so in 2023 they will announce? What rocket they're using. And they're waiting My enthusiasm for, is fading. Oh, I know. But, but we're looking at a launch around 2025. And... The thing is, technology right now for launch vehicles is advancing so quickly that they may be able to get extra boosts that we can't imagine right now. So being able to hold off on saying that would be awesome. The more copters, the better. I'd rather a quadcopter with an octocam. Oh, okay. Okay, I like your version. I like your version better. But it's Titan. It's Titan. We We have to go to Titan. And I mean, we've been to Titan with Huygens. We've been there, but Huygens only lasted a few seconds after it got to the surface. It kind of went crunch. Crunch told us the surface was crunchy. I need more it's data. Valuable. Yeah, we need to know what it tastes like. Exactly. Like, what, what's the crunch factor? Also, I'm, I'm actually really excited for 2020 never when this thing will actually it, It's going to be around 2025. They're relying on gravity assists. It has to go. Oh, it's going. It's done. Okay, very cool. So we're going to start taking questions from the audience. Are you guys curious? Yeah. All right. Boom. Who are you and where are you from and what's your question? I'm Jim from St. Louis and my question is, can another planet form from the material in the asteroid belt? No. No. So, so the amount of material out in the asteroid belt is actually less material than our own moon already has. And to get our moon, you needed all of that material to be splashed into a orbit of Earth-sized volume of space. Now, all that material out in the asteroid belt, it's spread out so that unless you're standing on a binary asteroid like Ida and Dactyl, as you look out into space, you're not going to be able to see any nearby asteroids. And the likelihood that they're gravitationally going to glom onto each other and form into a smaller-than-the-moon-sized object is zero. They are... Well, if we did it on purpose. Well... If we lassoed asteroids... So here's the thing to think about. If you set loose like a hundred kids running in circles around a track, they're going to be able to grab onto each other and form groups. Yes. Now, if you make those groups like 
lock elbows and keep running to try and grab more and more kids, you're eventually going to end up with these clumps of like 10 kids here, 10 kids there. Which is exactly the asteroid belt. It's exactly asteroid belt. And those kids can never catch up to each other because human beings. Because they're kids. Yeah. And asteroids. And they're asteroids. Right. So so try this experiment. You're going to get stuck. And it turns out what's left over stays left over. So sorry, your asteroid turning into planet dreams have been duly crushed. It's I'm, a I'm thing. Very, I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry. What else? We got time for lots more questions. Go for it. Ron from Tucson. We talked about this a little bit last time. If you two could comment more on the importance or the lack of importance of a magnetosphere. Ooh, magnetospheres in terms of life, importance of magnetospheres in terms of life, not just the importance for, yeah. okay, okay, importance for life. Like the earth has this surprisingly strong magnetic field. Like for the inner rocky planets, like we've got a really, really nice magnetic field and it really helps. This is all true. And we don't yet know Venus's total magnetic Thing. Right, it's got this weird mechanism where like the solar wind interacts with the atmosphere yeah. and kind of sort of half makes a magnetic field when it feels like it. But Earth is totally unique in having this power, self-driven, self-motivated magnetic field that bends incoming high energy particles that would like to destroy our DNA because the universe is trying to kill us. All the time. All the time. But that magnetic field out there is like... we're trying to kill the universe because it deserves it. We need the universe. Fair. Okay, fine. We'll let it live for now. (laughs) So this magnetic field that we have, it's bending around us like some great Captain American shield. All those incoming particles saving our DNA. Now, get rid of that, and those particles are going to do two terrible things. Some of them are going to make it to the Earth hit the molecules in your body, break those molecules apart, leaving your body going, I I needed that. I needed that DNA. Yeah. I was going to copy that. Yeah. And this is how you sometimes get cancer. Yeah. A certain percentage of all cancers are... Cosmic rays. Yes. That make the high energy stuff that blasts through our magnetic field, blasts through our atmosphere and hits the ground anyway. And, And the other thing is this problem known as conservation of momentum. So when those high energy particles hit oxygen, nitrogen, other atoms in our atmosphere that we like and sometimes breathe, um, they can knock them away. Mars has like very, very little atmosphere because the sun is just like, nope, I'm going to blow that away. Yeah. Like when you're blown on a dandelion. Right. But the atmosphere. That's critical. Well, maybe it's not critical for life because the icy moons... This is true. So you need a way to get the chemicals needed for life into your body. And even here on Earth, not everything breathes like we do. True. You, you have, did you know that turtles can breathe through their butt? I don't know if I wanted to know this, but okay. now I can't avoid knowing this. Every time I see a turtle, I'm going <laughs> to... So, 
so different things on Earth have different ways of respirating through their skin, through their their gills, and that's gonna be the title of the episode, by the way. Okay, so so different things have different ways of respirating, and if there is life like we have here on Earth under our oceans, if there is life in oceans on other worlds, it will be finding a way to do whatever chemical reactions it needs to do to live. Now, we used to say that life requires oxygen, water, food. Well, now we change that to say you need an energy gradient, a temperature gradient. You need nutrients, whatever Mm -hmm. those nutrients might be, and you need a solvent. Solvent. Right. And we find that on worlds like Titan. And most of those worlds don't have strong magnetic fields. We're going to take a quick break, folks. I'm Paul Sutter, and you are... Dr. Pamela Gay. And this is Space Radio. This show is brought to you by you. Go to patreon.com slash pmsutter to learn how you can support the show. And how can people support CosmoQuest? We also have a Patreon, so check us out at patreon.com slash CosmoQuestX. Do it, and I'll see you after the break. Support for 90.5 WCBE and Space Radio comes from Thompson Hine, a business law firm serving clients for more than a century. Thompson Hine provides innovative client service through SmartPath, a smarter way to work, predictable, efficient, and aligned with client goals. More information about the firm at thompsonhine.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Paul Sutter, and this... Dr. Pamela Gay. And this is Space Radio. We've got more questions here live from Joshua Tree National Park where we are having a stargazing extravaganza in the desert. And we've got a bunch of very, very curious people who have a lot of questions. What's the next question? Hi, I'm Brad from South Australia. We've been talking a lot about gas giants and the moons and life itself and the possibilities of it. What about the actual gas giants themselves as opposed to the moons? What are the factors that make them different in terms of the possibility of life emerging there? Ooh, very cool question. Brad from South Australia is asking, we've been talking about the moons and the icy moons and potential for life. What about the gas giants themselves? I mean, they're large. They've got lots of stuff. The issue that we run into with these large gas giants is they're mostly made of things like hydrogen and helium, and those don't form the density of rich organic molecules that life likes to have. You and I, we're made of mostly carbon with bits of metals and complex atoms. There's iron in us. And all of these things don't necessarily hang out in the atmosphere of something like Jupiter. Sure, there, there are organics. This is why we have a great red spot that is red. We find ammonia and all these other molecules, but it's not the bread and butter of these atmospheres. So the probability that you're gonna get enough of these complex molecules together to start to form complex life that can find more molecules to build more life. To eat. Yeah, it's just all a little bit too diluted. But they are denser in their cores. There's more interesting materials in the cores, but the cores of the giant planets are just plain weird. They're weird 
and they're high density and so this is where you start going just how dense can life mm. get and I'm not talking about that guy you made fun of in math class I'm talking about the kind of density that creates diamonds in the atmospheres of planets that's pretty dense or like strange exotic states of metallic hydrogen right like supported by quantum mechanics rather than pressure like it's and it's generating its own heat because it can because it feels like it yeah. yeah. So probably not, but there's some amazing science fiction out there. Mm. And so, you know, if a science fiction author wants to make this stuff up, I'm good, but scientists are probably not going to find it in reality. So sorry, no life in the, probably no life in probably. the gas giant plants themselves. Any other questions? What are you guys curious about? Go for it. Who are you? Where are you from? Um, you were talking about a solvent as being required, and could something as exotic as liquid nitrogen? All right, Boris from Seattle is asking about solvents. Like yeah. here on Earth, water is the solvent. It's a great solvent. It's a great place to do life. Places like Titan have these like hydrocarbon lakes that might be an interesting place to have life. What about something weirder? Well, when you start looking at things like pure nitrogen, I, I'm trying to remember in my head what its chemical properties are, and I can't, and chemistry isn't totally my best thing in the whole wide world, I can't think of an example of any time that you use even like nitrogen gas to make new molecules it nitrogen that just isn't nitrogen likes you to stay with nitrogen it, yeah it buddies up. it's it's kind of boring that way but when we start looking at worlds like titan we start finding things like methane which is happy to dissolve mm. stuff so get yourself some ch4 and rock on methane ethane these other complex molecules that exist in these super cold environments may be a better direction to head in but probably not the exotic stuff. Not like liquid nitrogen or liquid helium. I'm, I'm it's not just, thinking liquid nitrogen. It doesn't support chemistry. Well, in, was, a, in a life-interesting way. There was actually a really cool experiment mm. done by the uh, same folks that did the Geller-Urey experiment. And I don't remember if it was if it was Geller or Uri. And the, the, the Geller-Uri experiment was the, we're going to put a bunch of goop in a bottle, we're going to shoot some electricity through it, and then we're going to make sugars and see if we can create the molecules that are in the most basic forms mm -hmm. of life. Well, another experiment that was done that was allowed to go for decades was they took dry ice, I believe it was dry ice, mixed in these chemicals that can form amino acids and other things for life, and waited to see if you have a slow way of building up these oh. molecules as well. And they found that this works. And there is the potential that you can have the chemistry occurring at the deep ocean vents that are hot, right. that you can have the chemistry occurring in ice banks where it is cold. Oh. It's how long it takes the molecules right, to right, form. Right. If you have a lower energy gradient, it's just going to, a lot of the similar chemistry can happen or similar pathways, but it's just going to take longer because you have less energy. And we see this reflected in life that lives on the Earth, where Greenland sharks live basically forever, hundreds of years. 
but super slow life. super slow metabolism whereas most desert creatures have a much faster entire metabolism and live much shorter lives except for some of the turtles turtles we're because back to turtles out of their again butts exactly it's a different we're, different thing it's turtles all the way, way down. down and all the way in the back yes all right fun question what else are you guys curious about we got time for some more all right. I'll go again. Are galaxies still forming? Ron is asking, are galaxies still forming? Both of us are like, it's, it's a complicated answer because <laughs> on the small sides of things, we're all kind of like, do you call it a blob of gas or do you call that a galaxy? And when you say still, are you talking about, can we observe it occurring and telescopes or time machines? We use them to look back in time. Or are they occurring in the modern universe, in which case we can't see them because light takes time to travel, and our descendants will be... It becomes philosophical, but the basic answer... What is answer, a galaxy? Well... Mm. The, are we galaxies? <laughs> the, the basic answer is there are still small units of gas and dust making up dwarf galaxies, and there are two mechanisms for getting large galaxies. One is a, we're going to take a giant blob of gas and dust early in the universe, put it in a dark matter halo, and let things flow turbulently, get a supermassive black hole in the center, get a giant galaxy, boom, we're done. And the other way is to build all these little tiny building blocks that come together over time, get their angular momentum going just right to get spiral structures. And that process can still be going on, but are the original building blocks made out of primordial gas and dust still forming? That we can't tell you. And because of the continued expansion and accelerated expansion of the universe, it's getting rarer and rarer. And we may never be able to tell you because that stuff we may never see. Bummer. Yeah. That was a bunch of awesome questions. We're almost out of time today on Space Radio, but before we go, it's time for the blue shift. I'm Paul Sutter, and this is... Dr. Pamela Gay. And you're listening to Space Radio, and this is The Blue Shift, my opportunity to get a little bit closer to you. See, it's a little astronomy joke. Isn't that... Ha, 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 Cue audience laughter. <laughs> love that. Greg will love that. So in The Blue Shift, I like to talk about science, the role of science in society. You are a very successful scientist and a very successful science communicator and you involve the public both in your science communication and in science you know why do you why do you do that why why bother at the end of the day our our only way forward as a civilization is to realize that as astronomers without borders says we are one people sharing one sky and if it takes a village big to raise bird a also child says that. it's true mm -hmm. it's true big bird has big knowledge big knowledge and it's going to take an entire globe of humans and Big Bird. And Big Bird. To understand this universe Giant, we share. Giant, intelligent, yellow birds. Well, at least one. We'll take one. Plural might be scary. That'd be very scary. But if we can all work together and, and concentrate on just maybe spending a few minutes each day thinking about science instead of thinking about all the horrors that fill our Twitters and Facebooks and all the news and the that we horror listen that is to. Twitter and Facebook well there's that as well but if we can use that time instead to mark rocks mark boulders and learn to understand why what we're seeing is so amazing and cool the that's, world's gonna be better that, I believe it too 
We can make the world a better place. Big Bird said that too. I watch a lot of Sesame Street. I approve. I don't I have approve. kids. I just watch Sesame Street. <laughs> I, I stuff. Why are you guys laughing? Yeah, Oscar the Grouch and Cookie Monster. I, I feel like they could be my dads. <laughs> they might be. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, this broadcast is almost done. Huge thank you to Dr. Pamela Gay for joining me on this very special episode. And huge thanks to our live audience, our AstroTour dearest friends and family. Here comes the woo. <laughs> and I'm Paul Sutter, and this show is brought to you by the Ohio State University Department of Astronomy. Learn more at astronomy.osu.edu. This show is also brought to you by you. Go to patreon.com slash pnsutter to learn how you can keep the show going. You can also go to patreon.com slash cosmoquestx to contribute to Dr. Pamela Gay's research. Thanks to Greg Mobius for producing, Dan Michalka for being awesome, Nancy Graziano for wrangling the Space Cadets, and all the fine crew at WCBE Radio for making this show possible. Visit spaceradioshow.com for show links and all the info. And of course, thanks again, Earthlings, for listening. See you next week. And remember, science is for sharing. End of transmission.